and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David. Yes. How you doing? Well, I'm glad to have you back. Last week, you very, a very short notice had to drop out of the re- recording for some, uh, well, I didn't give any details on the, on the, well, podcast. I will. Okay. Uh, the whole family, uh, eventually now, as of, uh, the time of recording, only one of my kids had the stomach flu and, uh, that branched out to all of us, uh, Early fans, a little, this is, you know, Hey, this is a big day for us, but early fans know that David, you're a big fan of throwing up. Um, (laughs) That's, that's an early conversation we had on the show. And so you would have been very excited about what my last Friday looked like um, because it was tough sledding. Um, And so we're all, we're all, we've all recovered since then, which is good. But I got to say like taking care of sick kids while you are sick is like, this is, this is the, this is hell. This is the worst thing ever. And nausea especially is debilitating. Like I can, I can work through almost any kind of illness, but nausea, it's like, I don't even want to stand up laying down is bad enough. But anyway, so yes, that is why I was not there last week. I'm bummed. Well, thank you to Sean for, for, yes. uh, yeah, Picking we had a good slack. time uh, talking about needle drops, best needle Indeed. drops, 2021. Just go check that out. If you haven't listened to it yet with Sean Ingram. Um, but you mentioned it's a big day. It is. Whatever, whatever do you mean? Whatever. <laughs> well, look, it's not a big day for math reasons. We'll get to that in a minute. Uh, and that, I'll leave that to you. Well, it kind of is a big day for math reasons. It is, I guess. Not yes, the usual yes. math reasons. Yeah. Um, yeah uh, so I was wondering. So I realized the other day that Jen and I have lived in Los Angeles for 15 years uh, in Jan- uh, mid January. And I thought, and then it took me longer than I'm comfortable admitting, uh, to realize like, well, wait a second, David and I started battleship pretension shortly thereafter. So our 15th anniversary must be coming up. And, uh, so I was like, well, I'm going to pull up the old calculator and I typed in 52 times 15 and sure enough, up comes the number 780. And that that's, is the episode. Tyler, that's the number of this episode. You're shitting me. <laughs> um, so, yeah. So do you th- actually th- have somewhere? Because I know we've, we've taken down most of our first 40 episodes are not available to the public. Right. If you subscribe to the Patreon at what level do you get the first 40 episodes? Uh, I believe at uh, Petty Officer. Petty Officer or Admiral. Or Admiral, yes. You, you, uh, you get the, uh, the, the first 40 episodes, but because those are taken down, do you know when our first episode posted? I feel like it wasn't until March of 2007. Right? Correct. It was, it, I want to say it was in the area of, of like March, uh, somewhere in the teens, but I might be wrong okay. about that, but it okay. was early to mid March. Um, but yeah, we've been doing this for 15 years, 15 years, which is, you know, uh, battleship retention gets its uh, learner's permit this year. <laughs> that's about right i feel like we can't totally be trusted to to steer this ship to keep it going uh without, on our own adult yeah, yeah we need an adult present <laughs> exactly maybe next year we'll see yeah. what we can do uh and then we won't be able to rent one of these podcasts for quite a while yeah, yeah um, that's true but Actually, yeah. never to this never to this day never rented a car really yeah i've rented i'm gonna say like 10 over the course of my life yeah, um, I guess I, t- I, I tend to either go someplace where 
I'm visit either visiting a place where my family lives or a place that has public transit. Like if I if, sure. if not only I go on vacation, we tend to go to big cities, you right. know, um, or we drive. So like I've never, it's never come up. I've never needed to rent a car. Having gone to some of the the film fests that I've gone to that are kind of sometimes on the outskirts, not to suggest that Orlando is on the outskirts, but where the film festival was, was kind of removed. And it's like, uh, I guess, I guess I could get to the airport to that, uh, to that hotel via public transit, but that's really, really hard to figure out. So I would just yeah. rent a car, which is fun. It's like a little hotel. Um, and it's like, Oh, it's, let's see how it drives. Let's see how it sounds. This is great. Anyway. Uh, all that is to say that, uh, yeah, we've been doing this for 15 years. It is, uh, genuinely, it has flown by. It's insane to think how many episodes we've done. Um, and, and I mean, it had, I guess I see what you're saying, but also both of our lives are in totally different places oh completely 15 years ago. so absolutely yeah a lot, a lot has changed yeah uh it's yeah when i say it's flown by just the fact that we've been like the fact of the show itself like putting aside the idea of 15 years the idea of 780 episodes that is a lot of talking and that is a little bit shameful after a certain and point it, it's also a lot of listening so we should stop like Absolutely. You know, patting ourselves on the back, sit back and say thank you to the the the, the listeners who yes. who have stuck with us and new listeners. You've got a treasure trove of old stuff if you want to listen to it, or if not, just hang out. We'll do. We'll keep yeah. doing this another fifteen years as long as we don't drop dead. And for well, I'm a little closer as of tomorrow because um, it's also my birthday tomorrow. But uh, that's right. Yeah, happy I turn, birthday! I turn forty tomorrow. That's a big dude. one. That is a big one. That's a That's little a big too one. big. If you ask me, I don't like it. Yeah. Um, I, yeah, I will turn 40 this, uh, in this calendar year as well. So we'll, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do. Yeah. And that, I think that's, that's what it does. That's when you start to think in terms of like life changes, like we were 25 when we started this, like that is yeah, just the fact that I was 25, I looked down on for some reason. Um, but uh, not to suggest we look down on our 25 year old, uh, listeners. We're very happy to have all of our listeners and you know what, let's keep it going for another 15 years. And then, uh, eh, you know, we'll make a call after that. Suicide pact. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) if we make it another 15 years, then David, we have to marry each other. That's how it works. Uh, well, um, we've been doing this for 15 years. I couldn't tell you off the top of my head how long tweaked audio has been a sponsor of the show, but they're certainly our longest running sponsor. So let me tell you about tweaked audio.com tweaked audio.com is where you go for professional quality earbuds in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. They look great. They sound great. Tyler and I use them each and every day of our lives. Today, um, Tyler, I'm, I, I've, I've said this before, but the, my weird like way of listening to music, which is like, as I hear of something I want to listen to, I put it into like a never ending playlist that I have. And sometimes I get b- backed up and I don't listen to stuff for over a month. So I listen to what is to me, the new EP from the artist known as burial. It's called anti-dawn and it's great. It came out like the first week of January, but I just got to sure. it today. Um, and, uh, fantastic. David, at our, at our age, that's new. That's absolutely yeah. new. <laughs> Definitely the kind of music you want to listen to on professional quality earbuds, because it's a very textured, uh, uh soundscape uh, of, of music. So it sounded great on my tweaked earbuds that are available at a low, low price at tweaked But if you use the offer code pretension, 
at checkout, you get one third off that low, low price and no shipping charges. So please go to tweakedaudio.com and use the offer code pretension. What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We're back, Tyler. And as you hinted at before, Mm -hmm. math is going to come into play. Heavily. (laughs) If you look at the number, the number of this episode ends in a zero, right? And yet the number before that number is neither a zero nor a five. Okay. And what that means, because every 10 weeks, except for every 50 weeks, we profile a film artist, usually someone who has recently passed away. Mm. Uh, our subject this, um, th- this week passed away, um, uh, Thanksgiving weekend, as I recall, um, of, of, of last year, because I remember being at my sister-in-law's house when I, uh, saw the news on Twitter. Uh, and we, you and I, you know, we know what we're talking about with a lot of stuff, but you know, musical theater is not either of our strong suit. Correct. So we decided to, to, to bring in a guest someone who uh, knows, knows musicals. Uh, in fact, when I, I, I guess, no, I was going to say, cause I, I met you first at Sundance. Is that right? And, but then I was on your former podcast, no excuses uh, to talk about all that jazz, which I had never seen. That was uh, what I was, uh, how I was introduced to it. But so uh, here to join us from Clyder.com from slash film.com. It's Mike Shutt. Hey, happy 50th anniversary, guys. Thank you. Thank you. I've Again, been a 15th, listener for... Right? No, yeah. not, not 50th. Okay. 15th. <laughs> I think I've listened for 11 of those years. Oh, my wow. gosh. That's yeah. exciting. Mm-hmm. That would be very exciting for you, then. Oh, incredibly <laughs> exciting. Incredibly. <laughs> this person is gracious enough to take some time out of... <laughs> and you're gonna be we were like, thanking you for being here but you know what you're welcome that's what i say <laughs> yes. thank you very much <laughs> uh, uh no it is very exciting to 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 have you here uh for several reasons one it's always it's always nice when to have somebody on who who like can really like like speak in a, in a way of uh authority uh about something because as david mentioned this is I definitely have some major blind spots in musical theater in general, but like Steven Sondheim, uh, especially. Mm-hmm. That's who we're covering, by the way. We're profiling. Oh, sorry about like, that. We have, that's fine. I, don't, um, I didn't have any like fanfare. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but, but Unlike Sondheim himself. Uh, but yeah, I want to talk, Mike. So like I said, we met um, first at, at Sundance. I wish I could tell you what the screening was. I can tell you. It was, was certain, it certain women. women? It, it was, was certain women. women. I, sh- I should have mm-hmm. ventured a guess, a guess mm-hmm. because I would have gotten it right and I would have looked smarter than uh, I looked. But yes, okay, so certain women. But also, didn't we also see the Francois Ozon film France? Yes. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so I, what, I, what, I, what I guess I'm saying is I knew you as a guy who has good taste in 
in movies and you still are that. And then I didn't realize until I was on your podcast, your late podcast, no excuses. Mm. Um, RIP. RIP. No excuses. <laughs> uh, I didn't realize that you were a big, uh, musical head. Mm-hmm. So how, how did that, uh, what, uh, what's the trajectory? Like, uh, are you musicals first and film? Are they on twin paths? Are they all intertwined? Um, intertwined different paths. So, you know, as a kid, you grow up with, the Disney musicals and you know, those were in constant rotation and you don't think of yourself as enjoying musicals when you're watching them as a kid. Correct. But that's what you're doing is you're in, Mm. is you're learning about the form of musicals watching those movies, you know, particularly the ones written by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken, you know, beauty and the beast and little mermaid and all that. And, um, but I didn't really realize I love musicals until high school when I started working on them in drama classes behind the scenes and then actually doing the musicals, you know, in my junior and senior year. When you say doing, are you, you were on stage or were you a techie yes. like me and like me started out, were... started out backstage, ended up on stage. Nice. Okay. Which mm-hmm. ones did you do? Yeah. What did um, you do in high school? Well, actually the, old, uh, the senior year I did bye bye birdie. Mm-hmm. I played Mr. McAfee. It was a spectacular performance. <laughs> if I do so, same myself. <laughs> yes, I know. I know it was good because they changed where the intermission was to be after my song hmm. instead of where it was because oh. they were like, we got to end on a high note. Hey, yeah. that's yeah. insane. That's pretty good. Yeah. And uh, let's see. I did how to succeed in business without really trying. And uh, I teched once upon a mattress. Oh, I was in that one. As, As who? The, wi- I, the wizard. <laughs> if there's a character over fifty, that's who I played. <laughs> Me too. Yeah, mm-hmm. one of the one of those. <laughs> yep, Mr. McAfee. <laughs> if, they, if they need if they needed a Paul Lind, they got me. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, is that the the um, What's the matter with kids today? Yeah. That was, was yes, I remember. I know that song. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um. But do, doing the musicals, I wanted to actually, you know, kind of know what I was doing. So I would go on YouTube or whatever and look up how you perform on stage because I didn't really know what I was doing. And I would, you know, try to copy people. So I, you know, copy Nathan Lane or whoever I was watching on YouTube. And then I started listening to cast recordings. And then I was like, okay, what are the best musicals of all time? Let me see. The, somebody's made these lists online. Somebody's done this. And all of them, it was all Sondheim. Mm-hmm. It was all yeah, Sondheim. That's, that's, that's how we mm-hmm. get to uh, 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 the, the topic today. Although I was going to say, mm-hmm. I was going to mention, because I was a techie, the, in my, I don't know if this is true in drama clubs across the, high school drama clubs across the country. The, 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 especially the performer types in my drama, drama club, were obsessed not with anything Sondheim, but obsessed with the chorus line. And I, I think partially because it's about, you know, the world of like musical theater, but also because I think it's like risque in some way, you know, it's got songs about tits and ass and stuff like that. I think that was maybe why like these uh, precocious, you know, 15 and 16 year olds were obsessed with that musical. Right. I mean, Uh, it's a, it's a show where every character literally gets a show stopping number. Yeah, because <laughs> they all get to like step forward and go, "Hey, this is about me." 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, I still like a chorus line. I was listening to that. Uh, oh, that record. Sure. Movie's recently. bad, but the movie is so bad. It's all, you, it, like it can't. You can't make a movie out of it. I guess not. We'll get into what makes a musical movie in a bit. Sure. <laughs> yeah, because unfortunately, like the, we're going to get into Stephen Sondheim, as you mentioned, the mm-hmm. like the top of the of the heap when it comes to to musical theater. But we're also going to be t- for. I'm not sure that we've ever done a profile of someone that we revere in which we're going to talk about as many. <laughs> Movies Bad I movies. don't like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> as we're going to talk about today, it's a strange, uh, uh, a strange thing. But um, so now, what we usually do when we do these profiles is, you know, if someone has worked in multiple uh, avenues of filmmaking, we tend to like pick one. We're going to do Peter Bogdanovich. We're going to do all right. Here's him as a director, you know, but uh, but. Sondheim touched so many different uh, uh, aspects of cinema and like was in the film industry and world in in like weird ways that mm-hmm. we're we're kind of going to jump around in terms of how he's credited, but we're going to stick with doing this chronologically because that is uh, well rules are rules they exist for a reason. Uh, um, <laughs> so we're going to start with 1961's West Side Story. Mm-hmm um go ahead um so i think what's important to know about uh how musicals are portrayed on film is that hollywood has always been behind the eight ball in term in terms of what they think a musical is compared to the stage so 1927 showboat comes out sort of redefines what a musical is because it used to be you know vaudeville numbers and reviews and like that you know it was light entertainment and the showboat comes on and it's like wait you can tell a story through music this has never been done before what is this and hollywood didn't really learn that lesson because throughout the whole golden age of hollywood every great musical that you could think of is a dance light entertainment show you know from singing in the rain to anything else to, you know, the bandwagon to an American in Paris. It's all reviews. They're jukebox musicals of, you know, we're going to sing good morning because it's morning. Yeah. Like you're not really advancing the story with good morning. You're just showing off how well Gene Kelly, Debbie Reynolds and Donald O'Connor can dance. Like that's the point of which is, which is i'm not you saying do worse than that yeah fair enough right. reason to make <laughs> to, to shoot yeah. that scene but right yeah I, I see what you're saying yeah i'm not saying that's a bad thing i'm just saying by the time that movie is coming out in 1952 we're 10 years past oklahoma on stage to where people are really starting to try and invent things and tell and figure out different ways of telling stories through music and and it's becoming much more uh less or it's becoming more reliant on lyrics and complexity of song rather than entertainment and that's where sondheim comes in but the reason west side story you know whether we're talking about this one or the new one which we'll get Mm -hmm. to in a bit is that these this is the only sondheim show that is dance focused 
and dance is always going to work better on film because it is a visual um, uh, art form. And people standing around and singing is not inherently cinematic, which is what most of his shows are. So if you can put in a bunch of Jerome Robbins dance choreography and have it, you know, beautifully filmed by Robert Weiss, it's going to make a pretty damn good movie. <laughs> and, you know, so, it's, uh, I, I am I do have a it's not so much uh, an objection because I think I have not thought about this nearly as much as you have. Um but the idea of of dance being almost more suited to film than theater, uh, I'm I wonder because there's such a spectacle to to a dance number, and you know if you if 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 a film is I guess this is the case with any kind of uh, spectacle sequence or really any sequence at all. Um, if something is not edited right or if it's not shot right, it can undercut that. Whereas <clears throat> Whereas on stage, you know, it's it's one unbroken take because that's all happening right there. And so I do wonder if, if from the viewer standpoint, if the appreciation of dance is more uh, palpable on stage, whereas it just like in the same way that like someone doing a magic trick on film is just like, yeah, OK, whatever. There's probably some kind of photography involved, uh, like unless unless you're shooting sort of wide and for long, long stretches uh, without any cuts, which is to say, if you're trying to uh, uh, mimic what it is to see this on stage, I, I I'm not sure if I hundred percent agree with you, but again, I have no doubt you've probably thought this before. <laughs> well, I think the, the difference is, is that if you're watching dance on stage, you're only getting it from one angle. Sure. In a proscenium and yeah. they're, and you're observing from a distance and not moving through the space with them. Whereas yes. West Side Story, most of more than almost any other musical, you're not only are they dancing, they're dancing through space. Yeah. So they they have these giant sets or go on location to where they can have kinetic energy just flowing everywhere. It's an it's an, you know, and it goes on past the frame. Whereas in the proscenium, they're in a little box. Yeah, I guess it, it is. It's the difference between appreciation and empathy is mm -hmm. is you can appreciate it when you're seeing the whole thing, but you're probably not going to feel like you're right there. You're one of the jets, you know, or one right. of the sharks. So I get I get what you're saying. OK. Mm -hmm. All right. Yeah. So I, I didn't think of it that way. So my question. So Stephen Sondheim is born in 1930. Mm -hmm. Um. I don't know enough about him to know where he was born at what age he started seeing musicals. Um, he's, I mean, he's from New York, but he, when he was okay. a kid, he moved to Pennsylvania when he was like 10 at when his parents divorced and his horrible mother got custody of him. And uh, they moved to Pennsylvania and moved close by to Oscar Hammerstein because she was sort of a celebrity hunter and was like, <laughs> Hey, he's a famous guy. And basically the Hammersteins took Sondheim under their wing and he was mentored by the guy who basically invented the book musical. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that, that might go away to explaining how he achieved what mm -hmm. said story. So early, I mean, his, in his late twenties is. Yeah. He's is like right? 20, he's like 26, 27 when he, when he works on this. Yeah. He, before this, he had written a show called Saturday night, 
but the lead producer who was supposed to put it up on on stage in New York died like right before it was supposed to happen and it all fell apart. Hmm. And so uh, Hammerstein was like, you should if you have this opportunity to go work with Leonard Bernstein and Jerome Robbins and Arthur Lawrence, you should do it, even though he didn't want to do it because he didn't want to be pigeonholed as a lyricist. Yeah, that's something to to mm-hmm. to, to talk about is that that he um, uh, he did not compose the music for for this or for the next one we're we're, we're going to talk about mm-hmm. um, that uh, the, the these this early the early things we know him for from where he just provided lyrics. Yeah, how would you um, care? Like it, it's it's hard for me to even know what questions to ask about somebody like Sondheim who was capable of doing some pretty amazing things Um, as a, as a lyricist, let's maybe talk about that first, since obviously that's, that's uh, this West side story lends itself to that as a lyricist, how would you characterize him? Would you describe his lyrics as like uh, kind of arch or sincere or how would you, how would you talk about him? Um, They are witty neurosis. Okay, <laughs> that, that wit and, and neuroses are the two words that I would describe his lyrics as, and and, and um, introspective stream of consciousness as well. Mm. Um, West Side Story actually is not the greatest um, example of what his lyrics are like, because Bernstein, who he was writing with, opted for the more like flowery poetic stuff, which. Uh, Sondheim was not that into and Sondheim has been openly critical about his own lyrics for West Side Story talking about how I feel pretty he wouldn't that song right. makes absolutely no sense why why would this this Puerto Rican woman whose second language second language is English would say it's alarming how charming I feel <laughs> like that that doesn't feel true to that character yeah and like he's like Something's coming. I nailed the jet song. I nailed the rest of it. The world is just an address. Tony would never say that. <laughs> so it, it's not gypsy, which we'll get to next is more emblematic of where his lyrics go, but even still it's a little off. But I guess you still got like things that I, when I, sometimes when I think of Sondheim, I think of, uh as a lyricist especially i think of there's a lot of cleverness and there's a lot of like a lot of syllables in a short like period of of, of time like almost every song is a patter song yeah so like when you Mm -hmm. think of but also the clever so that's cleverness in building the actual syntax or whatever the lyrics Mm -hmm. there's also like plays on 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 words and and uh and, and so things like uh, uh is it called america i want to be in america whatever mm-hmm. like um the way that the like uh they, they go back and forth the women are like here's a good thing and the men are like but here's a bad thing that rhymes with the good thing you just said yeah you know um there's mm-hmm. a cleverness to to that g officer krupke is a very clever yeah. um song that both i think find ways i think this maybe speaks to what you were um talking about about like the musical being ahead of the movies or the stage musicals being ahead of the movies like both of those songs and other songs that he's written find ways to to uh make a sort of for the time at least 
a progressive, socially progressive worldview, um, mm-hmm. more like palatable to someone who's just there to have a good time. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, he does he, I don't want to say he shits on every single word he wrote for West Side story. Just, just some of them. Like, sure. he, but like the thing is like the jets, he really knew how to write those characters because those white guys who grew up in New York, those were the people he was, you know, around. Whereas the, the, and like West Side Story the, uh, originated, it was not going to be a white gang and a Puerto Rican gang. It was going to be a Jewish gang and an Irish gang, hmm. I think is what it was. So it was going to be a white show because they were white people who knew how to write white characters. And, <laughs> and then, and then later on, it was decided to change that. And then it's just hired white people to play the, the Puerto Rican people. <laughs> Uh, well, let's, and let's they did on. a hell of a job. Is that the point you're making? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I guess let's they just, did as far as performances and mm-hmm. singing ability. But yes, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah. But also, uh, I want to I want to say the show West Side Story was not the monumental hit that the movie makes it seem like it would be because it came out the same year as The Music Man, which was the giant hit of that year. And what people were like, West Side Story, you know, it's it's well made, but like it didn't have any hit songs. And the hit songs didn't come until the movie because they had the money to get disc jockeys to play them. <laughs> so when you say hit song, you like people all over the country were bopping to uh, Mary and the librarian and Shapoopy and the songs from the music man. I mean, Hey, Shapoopy gets the crowd going. <laughs> yeah, it sure does. <laughs> That's another one I grew up loving, by the way, music man. I mean, uh, music another... man's on Broadway right now. People are, people are dancing in the aisles. I bet. Wait, with Hugh Jackman. <laughs> With Hugh Jackman and Sutton Foster. It's on Broadway right now. That's fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, let's move on to to, to Gypsy, because uh, I'm glad that you started this episode framing it in, in a way of how what Hollywood musicals were for a long time, because we've gone from a musical about um, children murdering one another <laughs> mm-hmm. um, to a musical about a sort of... Uh, abused showbiz business kid who is ultimately pressured into becoming a stripper by her own mother. Um, it's the it's American not, dream. Yeah. It's <laughs> I, I, cause I had not seen gypsy until uh, a few weeks ago when, in preparation for this. And I, um, I guess I was expecting like, Oh, musical Rosalind Russell. I'm expecting like, you know, a musical version of like Auntie Mame or whatever, which I guess there is, but musical version of Auntie Mame. But mm-hmm. like, uh, I was expecting it to be fun, which it kind of is, but it's also like a bummer a lot of the oh, time. Oh yeah, it's a serious uh, bummer too. Yeah, I uh, I, I, re- mm-hmm. I was really like surprised by how much I liked Gypsy. Now, mm-hmm. um, this was one I guess initially Sondheim was going to do music and lyrics for the stage version, mm-hmm. but. I can't remember who was playing the Rosalind Russell role in uh, uh, Ethel Merman, right? Uh, Ethel Merman, big enough mm-hmm. star. She said, I don't want to, I don't want to do this. Like this guy's untested. I want uh, a, a known composer. And that's how he ended up not doing the, uh, the composing for gypsy. Right. It, yeah. She just had a flop with a young composer on Broadway okay. and was like, I'm not doing that shit again. <laughs> but, and, uh, great lyrics that he, he wrote though. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he he does. He is much more proud of those lyrics than he is of West Side Stories. And uh, I think it's a and I think it's a better show. I don't think it's a better movie, but 
I think it's a better it is, show. It is a good movie, though. I was really surprised. <laughs> the, bi- the big issue is Rosalind Russell because um, that show was written for for Ethel Merman's vocal type okay. to have that sort of outrageously brash voice on the on those songs is an important a storytelling component of showing how monstrous this woman is. Mm-hmm. Of having and lowering all those keys so Rosalind Russell can everything's coming up roses. It's like <laughs> there's no power to it at all. I can I yeah. I know I, Ar- I, I, I know Arthur Lawrence, the book writer for Gypsy, famously just absolutely hated that movie. And was like, I'm never having Gypsy made on film ever again. And then in 1993, he was like, okay, I'll do it again. And then after that, he's like, I'm never doing it again. <laughs> I guess we're almost due for another one. Yeah. then. Mathematically. Yeah, well, well yeah, Streisand's uh, been trying to make it forever. Hmm. Um, Cause That'd she be interesting. wanted to play Mama Rose, but you know, now she's way too old to play that part. <laughs> well, I guess I don't have the, uh, that frame of reference of knowing mm-hmm. how it sounded on, on, on stage. I just, know it from this and i i like mm-hmm. that i really love natalie wood uh in it and, and she Carl actually Baldwin gets to sing in that good. one yeah yes she actually yeah. does get to sing yeah yeah i would also i'm like why do it's it's weird when i because i know that show incredibly well gypsy it's weird when they make those duets between mom madam rose and uh herbert herbie um uh-huh they make them solos for her and Carl Mulligan's just like standing there just like, yeah, mm-hmm. <laughs> I agree. I'm supposed to say something here, but we cut it. Cause I can't sing. So I'm just going to stand here and just take, take whatever these lyrics are. <laughs> it would have been funny if they had gotten someone to like, to lip sync to like with Natalie Wood in, in West side story. Like, to have the- Carl, Carl, Carl Melvin just singing like a- <laughs> it's Robert Goulet's voice. <laughs> uh, well, should we, should we move on to you wanted to talk about um, 1966's Evening Primrose, which is a television broadcast. Yes. Am, am I right? Yes, yeah. it is an hour long television movie. Um, it is the only original musical written for the screen by Stephen Sondheim. Hmm. Uh, oh, it's okay. It stars Anthony Perkins nice, in the lead role, um, who uh, obviously he went on to collaborate with later. I was say, is, this, is this where he would have met Anthony Perkins? I'm not sure. They seem to okay. have been friends for a while, maybe more than friends. Unconfirmed yeah. rumors. Hmm. Um, That's uh, exciting. I love it. Yeah. So Evening Primrose is almost like a Twilight Zone episode. So... Anthony Perkins plays a poet who is sick of the world. And he's like, I just want to be isolated and alone and write my poems. So what he decides to do is he, he, he breaks into a department store and is like, I'm going to live in the department store. And then he learns that there is this society of people who live in the department store. And if they try to leave, they become mannequins. Oh, oh that wow. sounds great. <laughs> <laughs> and there's four original songs by, Sondheim they're all excellent Anthony Perkins has a surprisingly wonderful voice um, there's a song in there called I remember which is about this 
young, who is this young woman who, you know, used to be a regular person out in the world and has been trapped in this department store for who knows how long. And she's talking about the vague things she remembers from the world. And boy, did that song hit home when it was in the heaviest of lockdowns. Sure. This the past couple of years. Yeah. <laughs> wow. I need yeah. to is you this... can you can yeah. rent it in, in, in standard depth mm-hmm. uh, on, on at, at Amazon. Or, right. you can, or you can just watch it on YouTube because it's up there. <laughs> but funny, the thing is about Evening Primrose is that it was filmed in color, shown in color, but the color version was just like destroyed. Hmm. And so the only version that exists is a black and white uh, version of it, which I think is actually better because it aids in the eeriness and Twilight Zone-ness of the premise. Well, you think it's better, but you wouldn't know. That's true. I don't, I don't know. You I've only seen, seen one. The color version could have been the most beautiful thing you've ever seen in your life. Yeah, true. Or it, or it just looked uh, like really cheap video. <laughs> uh, yes, mm-hmm. that is, I suppose, I suppose <laughs> possible. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh, well, also in 1966, the first theatrical film based uh, in which <laughs> Sondheim provided both the music and the lyrics uh, mm-hmm. A funny thing happened on the way to the forum, which is uh, a fun movie, but it's fine. I'm not. Yeah, it, it's <laughs> it's fun to see big names, Zero Mostel, Buster Keaton in his final screen role, you know, mm-hmm. um, hamming up and 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 having fun. Um, there's other like uh, big comedy guys in that movie, too, that I'm like, um, I can picture, but I can't think of their names. Yeah, what am I thinking of? But the. The big issue with the movie is that oh Phil Silvers they, yeah. and uh, and and Jack Guilford, um, mm-hmm. but well I'll say what I'm going to say, which is that I love Richard Lester generally, mm-hmm. but he's a rock and roll director, and this is musical theater, and it I feel like the movie is it's fun, but it's a little too loose, a little too shambolic sometimes. Uh, yeah. That I feel like that cleverness that I'm talking about or that I talked about earlier where Sondheim, I feel like that kind of gets obscured a little bit by how loosey goosey the whole thing is. Yeah. The show is fairly loosey goosey. Uh, okay. As it is. But, I mean, it's a big old sex farce is what the, you know, the, the, you know, second act is all people running in and out of rooms and, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. But the big issue with the movie is that they cut almost all the songs. So like you're barely getting any Sondheim in the movie. They keep comedy tonight and like three other songs and that's it. When, you know, that's one of the things that's another issue. A lot of stage adaptations to film have is they don't know what to cut because they feel like they can't do the whole show. (laughs) See, I feel like that would have been. Even more so than Carl Malden, if Buster Keaton belted, you know, belted out this beautiful music, I think that would have been a really wonderful, uh, humorous note to end his career on. Um, but Buster Keaton had a great voice, by the way. Yeah, he has a very um, funny voice. Yes. Yeah, like it's so yeah. weird. Like he's a silent comedian. I, th- I, th- I, you think he's going to be like, what's her name from Singing in the Rain or something? I, I guess that's right. probably, subconsciously, I think that I'll silent film stars and they open their mouths are going to sound sound weird but yeah. uh he smells uh, he, he sounds yeah, like he's, he's he sounds like he's just smoked 
a hundred thousand cigarettes. <laughs> well, <laughs> yeah, it's a good reason for that. And it's great. Uh, Gotta well, add that color. <laughs> let's uh, let's move on to a another made-for-TV documentary. Though I'm not sure when it ever first was it first shown on TV in any way. We're talking about the original cast album company. I'm not sure. Sh- I'm not sure because the opening text gives you the like background of how it came. It was essentially a pilot for a PBS series that was going to be like the making of various original cast albums. But this is the only one that was ever made because the guy who produced it for PBS by the time it was done being made, didn't work for PBS anymore, I guess. Yeah. Uh, um, but uh, this, uh, this documentary might be the best Sondheim movie that I watched for this. Probably. Yeah. It's, um, pre- it's pretty amazing. But I also, I will, uh, Mike, you're going to scoff at my ignorance as a non-musical theater per- person. It had never occurred. I guess I had always just subconsciously assumed that cast albums were live recordings from the board, like during, like mm-hmm. during perform- a performance or maybe multiple performances cut together to get the best takes or whatever. I hadn't really thought about the fact that like, oh, they go into a studio and do the songs for the album. I didn't mm-hmm. realize that's how cast albums were made until I watched this movie. Um, I think there have there have been live cast albums before, but it's not the regular. Usually it's it's nowadays, really, it's like you're close to opening night or just after opening night. You go in for a day and record (laughs) everything your day off because you work six days a week on Broadway. Right. Doing eight shows. And on your one day off, you have to go in for 12, 15, 18 hours to record the whole show. Yeah, that's when I think watching original cast album company. Um, they're I, they're they're recording until like three o'clock in the morning. Mm-hmm. Uh, the one dude is like, it's <laughs> literally smoking as he's recording his part, <laughs> and I'm like, how are their voices holding out? Mm-hmm. That's the 1970s uh, so- for you. <laughs> they just knew how to do it. They knew how to power through. <laughs> uh, but it's such a fantastic showcase for his songs. I've never I don't, I've never seen the show Company. I don't mm-hmm. really know. I've only gathered from the story what I hear in the songs in in this movie, but it's a showcase for his songs, people who can sing them well, but also he's a character. I mean, mm-hmm. it's a documentary, but you know, he's a, a a a presence in it as someone who's like exacting, but also not. He doesn't come across in the movie, at least, as tyrannical mm-hmm. or anything. I'm not sure no. if he ever. Maybe he. I don't know what his reputation was uh, uh, when the cameras were off. I don't know, but um, but. Uh, he he seems like a real like a real guy who like a real down to earth guy who also happens to be incredibly talented at this mm-hmm. one thing or this couple of things. Yeah, his reputation I've I've never really heard a bad word about him. Like he he's very specific in what he wants from you, which most actors who work in that field are appreciative of. Not only because he's specific, but also he can back up every single decision he's ever made and he he's he talked often in his life about how important teaching and mentoring is and so that kind of work and trying to get the right performance out of an actor goes right in hand with that because he's like when i wrote these lyrics i'm teaching you about what the lyrics mean (laughs) um but but in terms of his personality he was uh, all i've heard is that he was uh, very 
generous and nice with the veneer of like with the veneer of a grouch, but you know, but, but I've never heard people say, Oh, when, when he died, no one said that, that asshole son. (laughs) No one said that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, the other thing to get away, just to step away from Sondheim for a second. The other thing that I think is very revealing, um, it may be very familiar to those of us who uh, were in theater in high school and stuff. You know, something never goes away. You've got actors and singers in this who are big personalities and big and and stars, and uh, the insecurity sometimes of of these people in the way that like. Elaine Stritch is like, she's Elaine Stritch, but when she's like the, the big conflict in the third act or whatever of, of this documentary is that she's not getting this song right and has to do multiple takes. And the way that she is just like, uh, hates herself. Uh, yeah, hates herself. And is also just like almost what's sort of like, uh, supplicating herself to not, mm-hmm. not only Sondheim, but the guy who's producing the, the record. It's, uh, it's a yeah. really, uh, very human moment from, from a larger than life person. Yeah. But that guy also doesn't make it good. I mean, that guy knows how to be a passive aggressive asshole. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe that's why Sondheim got to be so nice. He mm-hmm. had other people be the asshole. For <laughs> right. But like, uh, Dean Jones, who plays Bobby and company is the lead. And, like he hated doing that show because he he was just like a total mess making that show. And so like right after that show opened, he was like, see, ya, I'm gone. <laughs> really? And he was replaced by Larry Kurt, who was the original Tony and West Side Story and Broadway. Um, oh, there's something else I was going to say about company. And I can't remember what it was, but I oh, but um, oh, that, oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, but Dean Jones performing being alive in that movie I think is the is the movie's high point. He like you can see him going to another place, and then when the yeah. song ends, he like crashes back to reality, and he's like you could tell he was just in a void for four and a half minutes. It's yeah, amazing. It's, it's amazing. Also, maybe you want to go back and rewatch uh, Marriage Story. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because being alive is in that. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if, I mean, if we talked about every movie that a Sondheim song pops up in, we'd be here it's... for days. Yeah, um, there were yeah, three I, I in 2019. I, I was looking that up actually uh, a moment ago on IMDb. That like, it, it, of course, it's everything's broken down in categories. But with what like songs by or whatever the, the credits, there's like 380 uh, <laughs> credits. So uh, it's between you know movies and TV shows, uh, and yeah, it's it's pretty insane. So we don't uh, want to talk about Joker. I toyed with the idea of talking about Joker, actually, um, just but more specifically that I do not believe that those men would know that song. But, you know, yes and no. Yes and no. It was that song. Hey, is they're a New Yorkers, right? It's a bit. But that song outside of that show was a big hit recorded by, you know, Frank Sinatra and. Oh, yeah, I tons know. But I, of people. I get you know what? I guess if there's a Sinatra thing, I could see those guys mm-hmm. uh, being into it. But like knowing the lyrics that precisely, I right. just don't I just don't <laughs> buy it. It feels like like a bit of a contrivance uh, for me. Oh, but it's more anyway. than a bit. It's more than a bit. Uh, um, <laughs> you know what? I'll, I'm, I'll agree with you. <laughs> last thing I want to say about, want to say about company, I, I mentioned earlier uh, Sondheim's tendency to pack a lot of syllables into a short period of time. There's a song in company 
that makes those other songs I was talking about sound like they're being yeah. like their 45 is played at 33 speed. Yeah. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's uh, old man river. <laughs> yeah. yeah but get, they're like, I'm not getting married today. Yeah, like getting oh married today God. is just, I can't believe anybody can perform that song eight times a week and not die. Yeah. And just, and it's just, I'm so glad that this documentary mm-hmm. was made that we captured. What's the, can you tell me the woman's name who sings the song? And I don't know her name. Okay. Well, um, I'm so glad that it was committed in mm-hmm. close up, committed to film, right. just seeing her like rattle mm-hmm. through these like verse at verse. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's so great. Uh, anyway, yeah. okay, well, let's move um, away oh, just, from musicals. Just, oh, go ahead. I just want to say about Company if yeah. you're interested in seeing a full production of Company, there is a great, really great um, recording of a recent Broadway revival of Company starring Raul Esparza. Where it's oh, directed by oh, John, where yeah. it's directed by John Doyle, who's famous for taking these Sondheim shows and having all the actors play all the instruments that are used in the show. So it's a really stripped down, sort of weird take on it. But it's a great, great recording. It's pretty easy to find. Good. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, I'm a big Raul Esparza fan. I'm doing a uh, Hannibal season three rewatch uh, as nice. we speak. So. Then, uh, and I watched well, there's uh, Hulu's progressively Dope, le- so I've seen a lot of Raul as far as I, yeah, that's true. There's progressively less of him uh, as yeah. the series goes on. Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, let's move away from musicals. We 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 teased that uh, uh, we'd get to Sondheim working with Anthony Perkins. Uh, mm-hmm. They wrote a movie together. That's not a musical. It's a um, delightfully fun, uh, very twisty, um, whodunit murder mystery type thing called The Last of Sheila. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, Perkins and Sondheim being friends, they both loved puzzles and games. So this movie is birthed out of uh, murder mystery parties they would throw at at parties that they would have. And they would spend and they like Sondheim would spend like days, if not weeks, planning these elaborate murder mysteries. And he and he's famously loves puzzles. Like he would frame ancient puzzles and put them on his walls. Like that's his decorations for his house. So, you know, it makes sense that this is the, when he decides I'm not making a musical, this is the kind of movie he would make. (laughs) Um, So he's, so he's kind of the James Coburn character who has designed this weekend is kind of, so if you don't, uh, Mm -hmm. Tyler, Tyler, from your lack of reaction, I'm saying you haven't seen the last of Sheila. Is that right? I've, I've not. And looking at this cast, I'm, I'm angry at myself. It's fast. So uh, the a brief overview of the story is it's uh, James Coburn hosts a uh, weekend on his yacht for all his uh, friends. And it's a year after his wife has died or at least his paramour. I can't remember if they were supposed to be married or not. Uh, and it starts to uh, seem like, oh, maybe these little these, these different mysteries that he's been uh plotting for every night of this trip are actually designed to reveal that one of the guests is responsible for the death of his wife a year ago. Uh, a lot of fun. That and, looks great. And, uh, and uh, yeah, uh, great cast. Um, James uh, Mason, uh, you know, uh, Raquel Welch is in it. Yeah. Uh, Diane Cannon. Very uh, Ian young uh, Ian McShane. And, and uh, Richard Benjamin is kind of, uh, kind of becomes like he and James Mason are kind of the leads, I guess, of mm-hmm. the, of the movie and i've uh i like richard richard benjamin um both as an actor and as a as a director okay yeah uh, from so what yeah, last of she was a lot, a lot of fun yeah from what i've heard uh 
this movie is a big inspiration for Ryan Johnson for his Knives Out sequel. Hmm. Okay. You know, over in Greece on a boat. Nice. Oh, just saying. Is that the idea? Okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So, so that's yeah. We've gotten away from musicals into screenwriting. Now we get into score composing, which he actually weirdly didn't do a lot of. Mm-mm. But um, one the that he did is 1974's Stavisky, which eagle-eared listeners might remember uh eagles have good ears right <laughs> um, <laughs> might remember that we just talked about stavisky on our uh, 10 weeks ago on our last profile with uh, jean paul Belmondo. Uh, mm-hmm. not with jean paul Belmondo. he's passed he couldn't be there uh, but the profile of the career of jean paul Belmondo. he he stars as, as stavisky um and uh the movie, I, I wish, because I watched it for John Paul Lomondo, I wish, I wish I'd thought to like take better note of 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 the music. But um, the movie is a period piece, so you've got great like costumes and set decoration and old cars and and thirty stuff. And Sondheim's music, as I recall, plays into that. It's a it's a thirties, you know, I guess sort of like. I'm not sure how to describe that sort of pre-swing type of uh, 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 music, but um, he's clearly having fun um, playing to the era in which the movie is set. Mm -hmm. I've only ever heard some of the music. I haven't seen the movie. It's hard to find if you don't have canopy, which I don't. Uh, So I've only heard some of the music and I, and I hear a lot of similarities between it and his show follies. Actually, Um, yeah. Something I was reading mm -hmm. I don't know if this is true or just, you know, sometimes rumors get started, but I, um, some review of the soundtrack that I was reading, um, seemed to imply that there was music that he had written for Follies that didn't make it in that, that he ended up using. It's entirely possible for, for, for Stavisky. Yeah. Yeah. It's entirely possible. Composers do that a lot where they throw out something for one thing and then repurpose it for another thing. Like America and West Side Story was not written. That melody was not written for that show. That was an old, thing that he said and he and and Sondheim tells it like Bernstein brought that out and he was like wow what an amazing new piece that you wrote like try, <laughs> trying to like fool him <laughs> that he wrote this amazing song uh well then let's um move you wanted to talk about 19 the 1977 a little night music mm-hmm. so which this- uh is not really available anywhere i ha- i own it on dvd Oh, well, that's nice. It's, it's not kinda, available to stream anymore. Yeah, uh, you can only get it if you rent it from Netflix DVD, which I'm surprised no one's uploaded it to YouTube, really. But because that's one of that's right. one of those things where if it's only available that way, it ends up on YouTube somehow. Yeah, but I can't yeah. find it anywhere on there. Um, so this is the second adaptation of a show that he wrote the music and lyrics for, and it's directed by Hal Prince, who was his was the directing collaborator for Sondheim throughout the 1970s. He directed every show that he did up until Merrily We Roll Along in 1981. Um, and it is garbage. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> There's a reason Halprince never directed another movie after this. And he only died a year before Sondheim did. So that's he was like, oh, I made a mistake. I made a mistake. He has no idea how to uh, how to use a camera. Every single shot is a medium close up. Every single one. It's a static medium close up 
of an actor just sitting there singing and it is dreadful to watch elizabeth taylor's totally miscast as desiree armfeld her rendition of sending the clowns sucks uh it's just it's just not good all the way around would not recommend <laughs> okay i, I guess mm-hmm. i'm glad it's not uh, yeah but i we all dodged a bullet there oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but this is what but this feeds into the thing of adapting sondheim shows is really hard even by the people who originally made them <laughs> they kind of just don't know really what to do <laughs> uh well i guess let's get into the um warren Beatty era <laughs> yeah <laughs> uh, which uh he he composed the music for reds which i um watched for the first time recently but not as recently as mike who watched it today for yeah, the first I, time i finished it uh two hours ago <laughs> you watched it more recently than i did which was uh i'm gonna say about 20 years ago okay mm-hmm. um well but again you've got a period piece and i guess he's kind of again writing music to that era a, a little bit i don't think it's quite as like winkingly as with stavisky maybe mm-hmm. but uh but also i was surprised watching reds how much music plays a part in in these characters lives like the the popular songs from the day are are mm-hmm. like sung multiple times by characters in the movie yeah, and then in the uh the interviewees or i guess the credits call them witnesses um one of them like sings a whole song like near the end of the movie uh too there's a lot of um uh connection to popular music in, yeah in there's movie. that that song i don't want you in my yard or what's it called yeah that, yeah. Um, yeah which is you know from the late 1800s that song um but sondheim actually didn't compose all that much music for this there's very okay. little score in the movie like oh. actually original score but there's even less because a lot of it was written by this guy, David Grussman. Like Sondheim really only wrote that uh, the main theme of the movie. Okay. Uh, what's it? Goodbye to love. I think it's what it's called. And, and he wrote the score for the scene where he proposes, but like everything else isn't him. Except for like, like the main theme will show up here and the, again and again and it's repurposed and all that but very little of the score is actually him well in any case it's a great movie mm-hmm. i'm glad that i watched it for yeah it's for a very good purpose. movie <laughs> yeah uh, and I'm, then he... I'm, I'm always torn on it just because of just the the film is well made the story itself and john reed himself and like what he allowed himself to be like told and uh, it, it was very common for certain american journalists at the time who were like in sympathy with what Russia was doing and Russia said like, Oh, we can use that. Uh, and so it's that frustrates me, but the film itself is really good. But yeah, I, I and don't the think performances the, are, are marvelous. I don't think the movie forgives him. I think, I think right. the thing that's fascinating about reds is you were seeing a leftist, uh, a lefty like Warren Beatty um, struggle with these same things that you're, you're talking about. Like if yeah. we, Again, we go back to the, one of my favorite sayings about movies. If you say that like every movie is a documentary of its own making, Reds is really fascinating as a portrait of the inside of Warren Beatty's political mind. <laughs> and I think, and honestly, I feel like if it were, if I were to rewatch it, I'd probably pick up on more of that nuance. Because um, at the time, I think I watched it. I think I was in uh, um, 
a Soviet history class. Uh, and so I, I watched it. That was my second time watching it. First time I watched it in high school, I was tremendously bored and do nothing about it and didn't care. And then uh, this contextualized a little bit. And I was only thinking in terms of the sociopolitical and being like, oh, wow, this is a really good cast. And it's a gorgeous film and all that sort of thing. I think I'd probably benefit from uh, a third watch. But uh, I'm assuming you'll have more to say about Dick Tracy, which I have not seen since I was uh, a little kid. I will have things to say about Dick Tracy, but you know what? I'm going to throw to our guests. What do you have to say about Dick Tracy? Well, that's one of those movies where for the longest time, I thought I had seen the movie. Okay. okay. And then last year I was like, okay, it's on HBO max. Let me, let me watch Dick Tracy. I haven't Turns seen out it. In you, a while. you had only Turns watched out it. I had not seen that movie. You'd only watched a test pattern uh, because <laughs> color wise, that's about right. Mm-hmm. Um, um, but uh, go on. So Sondheim wrote what? Four songs for that movie. Won an Oscar for it. Yeah. I think he won for sooner or later. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, so there's sooner. Or la- so my, my Sondheim association with this film is very much back in business. That song, I, I saw the film when I was a kid. My family went to a drive-in to see it. I was eight. And I, I liked the movie in general. And it had some top-notch action figures that I collected the hell out of. Um, but, uh, but even at eight, that back-in-business sequence um, where Dick Tracy has been putting Big Boy out of business, Big Boy frames Dick Tracy, and then... Uh, then the, the, the underworld is doing great. And that song is so upbeat. And I think it was like maybe one of the first times that I, that as a, as a kid, I saw that like, like truly joyous villains and a song that captured what they must've been feeling in that moment. And, and I also, I love the lyrics of the song so much uh i just you know it's things were this but now they're this and just over and over again that kind of thing uh that invariably in my adult life if there's something going wrong and it it requires a lot of patience and probably some hard work to restore it uh and then I finally do that song will come into my head and just like <laughs> yesterday things, what is it? Uh, back in business and ain't it grand. Let the good times roll yesterday. Things were out of hand and now they're under control. It's like motherfucker. Yeah, you're right. They are. <laughs> and it's like, I love that song. I love that sequence. I love the movie in general. Um, and I know that again, that's not the, the song he won for. Um, and and it really it just plays over a montage as opposed to some of the other songs which are performed. But nonetheless, um, I, I really I've heard some people say they think there are too many songs uh, in the film um, and that some of that has to do with with uh, 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 Warren Beatty's dating Madonna at the time and wanting to feature her wherever he could. But uh, but I don't know. I, I feel like it just adds to the the overall just fun of, of the movie. I, th- I think if your complaint about Dick Tracy is that there's too much of something, you're watching Dick Tracy wrong <laughs> because the tagline of that movie is uh, too much. <laughs> Do you like Dick Tracy? I don't know. Okay. It's, it's one of those things where I, I'm, I'm, I marvel that it was made. 
because there's because there's just nothing like it there really isn't yeah like i know people would like to say that it like came out of the post batman birth but that movie is like nothing like batman the movie is insane (laughs) it's in in a way that i didn't that I liked when I was a kid, but didn't fully understand. And not unlike speaking of Batman, not unlike Batman returns a couple of years later. Um, I, I only more fully appreciated the miracle of it as I got older um, mm-hmm. because Dick Tracy is just, you know, is Warren Beatty and they clearly were the studios going to let him do whatever he wanted. Cause he was Warren Beatty. Uh, and it's, it's astonishing to me that that's what he wanted. You would. Ne- I never would have thought that Warren Beatty would have that in him so fully. It's. It, I. I love it so much, and I do think that those that that all of the songs, you know, whether they they be the ones that are that are performed on screen uh, or or otherwise, um, they really do add a sense of of cleverness, a sense of period. Um, and and again, just a sense of of fun to to everything. It's like it's almost as though Beatty thought like, well, look, we're making a spectacle in every way. So we're going to have this be maybe one or two songs short of being considered a musical. Mm-hmm. And and during one of the musical numbers, we're going to have Al Pacino yell over <laughs> the musical number. Yeah, because it's not enough. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, and just go through and, and be. It's tough to, I, I, it feels wrong to say the term delightfully abusive, but uh, he's being delightfully abusive uh, of uh, Madonna and the, and the other dancers. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah, it's, and what's more is it's, it's, it's hard in retrospect to feel like, like that song. I think it's just, is it just called more? Yeah. Um, but like, it's hard to believe that that song. Okay. This is where I'm going to sound like a, just a, big moron really great pieces of music especially with movies for me they feel like they've always existed it's crazy to think that somebody created them for the purpose of this of just this movie and so a movie a song like more uh is like wait you wrote it for this really like it's it's such a fun upbeat song like how did this not exist how did you not just pull this from the catalog 50 years ago you wrote this for this movie. Uh, and, uh, and I get that. I get that with maybe every song in, in Dick Tracy. Mm-hmm. He particularly around for that era that Dick Tracy takes place in the quote mm-hmm. unquote era that it takes place in. Um, right. he, he returns to that sort of musically musical stylings occasionally throughout his career and is always really good at recreating that tin pan alley type. Sound. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, uh, I just wanted, I, it's just a bummer that we didn't get. Why didn't Steven Zondheim write Bullworth's raps? <laughs> <laughs> um, and even uh, Rules Don't Apply has an original song in, hmm. in it mm-hmm. that is not by Steven Zondheim. I wanted. Did they fall out after they made two movies together? And then they. Uh, Who knows? Yeah. <laughs> Who knows? He met. He um, met Beatty met Annette, and he was like, "That's it." I don't yeah. need Sondheim in my life anymore. I found I found the song in my heart. Oh, well, that's sweet. <laughs> I hope that's true. Um, 
Well, that's what you wanted to talk about the 1993 gypsy, which you have already uh, suggested sucks. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's better cast than the 1962 film. I okay. wish it had the same production value of the 1962 film. Um, it's directed by uh, what's his name? The guy who directed Dirty Dancing and Emil Ardolino. Mm-hmm. Who and then sadly, he died. Yeah, he died three weeks before the movie premiered oh, on CBS. That's very sad. Yeah, he he had AIDS and died of that. Um, but I think Bette Midler is a far superior uh, Mama Rose. Um, she definitely and, seems like somebody that could capture that Ethel Merman mm-hmm. type thing more. And she can really sing. Yeah. You know, they don't need to, you know, go futzing with the keys to make sure somebody can croak out a lyric. She and she she's that overbearing mother to a T. And also the movie remembers that Louise Gypsy Rose Lee is a funny character. Natalie Wood in the original is sort of the nice ingenue. But when she becomes Gypsy Rose Lee, she's like this body burlesque performer. And the movie, probably because it was made in 1962 for Hollywood, wasn't allowed to do that. Whereas 1993 on CBS, they could. So the like the the big climactic strip number is actually terrific. Whereas in the original film, it's like, okay. That's it. I guess we're done. <laughs> nobody, Since, nobody uh, pushed the boundaries like '90s <laughs> CBS. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Cynthia, Cynthia Gibb played Louise in this. Mm-hmm. But do you know who played young Louise? Elizabeth Moss. Elizabeth oh. Moss. Mm-hmm. I'm just just noticing that now. Yeah, I didn't realize that until I watched it somewhat recently. Wait a second, she looks exactly the same. That's weird. <laughs> wow. And Lacey Chabert is the young uh, June. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Anyway, and uh, uh, Michael Jeter's in it. Tony Shalhoub is in it. Nice. Yeah, like, it looks like a lot of fun. Yeah, Michael Jeter doesn't even have a line of dialogue. It's very sad. He had just won a Tony too. Come on, give him a line of dialogue. <laughs> so I I want to move on to a movie that uh, I I was I asked you guys both like here's the movies I want to talk about. What movies do you, you guys want to talk about? And I guess I was kind of surprised to see 2003's camp on your list, uh, Mike, because I saw it when it was, when I, I worked at a video store in the early two thousands and I just watched everything. So I saw camp, but I, mm-hmm. it didn't seem worth a, a mention, but I guess he does play himself in it. Well, you have to remember the whole movie, everybody in that movie is talking about how fucking amazing Stephen Sondheim is. They worship at the altar of Stephen Sondheim, and then he shows up to their performance at the end. And it's like the biggest movie star in the world is getting out of this like Honda Civic. And it's a great <laughs> moment. And then Anna Kendrick performs the ladies who lunch. And it's the high point of the movie. Maybe is- I should watch it again with having more knowledge, uh, mm-hmm. because at the time I thought it was just like, uh, I guess we weren't using this term at the time, but I thought the whole thing was pretty cringe. Mm-hmm. Uh, when oh, I, it when is. I it's theater it. kids. I mean, come on. Yeah, yeah. I guess that maybe I was in 2003. I was still too. I didn't have you're enough too, distance you're too between. Punk. No, I'm just saying I was <laughs> like my high school theater 
background mm-hmm. was only a few years behind me. Maybe now yeah. with some distance, I'd be able to appreciate camp. Uh, in 2003, I was just like, glad I'm not hanging out with this. <laughs> I, uh, I'm jumping ahead a little bit, but uh, when I watched Tick, Tick, Boom, and, you know, there's the scene in the apartment where, you know, it's a party and like, and they start singing uh, and just seeing the type of energy level that was going on there was like, oh, I remember this. <laughs> I remember these parties. I went because I had to, because these were my friends. And it's, I'm, I don't look to, I, I, I appreciate the energy of theater people, but I had for, I forgot like that. And that's honestly when I was like, boy, this movie's nailing it uh, because <laughs> I'm having the same reaction that I did when I was in high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. But like the opening scene of that movie, when he gets to the camp and he sees the picture of Steven Sondheim on um, his, on the bedside table, he's like, is that your dad? He's like, no, that's Steve. <laughs> <laughs> that's Steve. <laughs> Well, um, I'm so excited for this next bit just because because uh, so I because I, I like hearing you talk about it because well, I think because uh, I didn't know because I think you just you just saw it right. I, I just watched Tim right. Burton's uh, Sweeney Todd the Demon Barber of Fleet Street, and sometimes there's bad movies and sometimes there's movies that I'm just furious at the entire time. <laughs> and I wonder, part of it might be that I um, maybe the only off the top of my head unless I'm missing something obvious, the only Sondheim like musical I've actually seen a professional stage production of uh, is Sweeney Todd. When I was in high school uh, in, in St. Louis, we went to St. Louis repertory theater um, as a, like a field trip to the drama club. Um, and it was really great. I was uh, really shocked at the time. I was like, this is so cool. This is like, these lyrics are funny and there's like blood spraying across the stage. And this is like so much, up my alley um and i never watched uh the the movie and so i watched it in preparation for for this and it's a fucking crime how bad this movie is when you've got this material it's it's johnny depp at like well i was gonna say at his worst i guess like some of his off-screen activities are probably him at his worst but in terms of his on-screen worst he's like he like johnny depp I'm sure this is a this is a hacky thing to say, but he he could and did do this in his sleep. I think, uh, and that that's a big part of what I what I, what I hate about it. Um, uh, I like I normally like Alan Rickman. I don't know if this is the right uh, role for him. I really like Sasha Baron Cohen, but uh, spoilers: he's not in the movie very long. I think Timothy Spall is having a lot of fun. Um, I I, li- I definitely like it. Was. I definitely like it more than you do, but that's probably because I didn't see it uh, on stage. Like I knew enough to know that like, Oh uh, God, that's good. Is not here. That's an odd choice. Um, the ballad of Sweeney Todd is not here. Yeah. An incredibly um, important tone setting song. And so I, so even, even then I was just kind of aware of certain things that weren't there. And I know that my theater friends were very upset uh, about things. And, uh, and there were things that frustrated me. One was that like, despite how much I like Helena Bonham Carter, it just felt like she's swallowing. It's like, she's breathing in, uh, uh, every song, um, you know, instead of, instead of belting it out. And, uh, you know, when I, uh, afterwards I went and watched like YouTube clips of like Angela Lansbury doing it. And I thought like, ah, that's what this 
That's what it's could, supposed to could be. be and possibly should be. <laughs> um, as for as for Johnny Depp, I remember thinking he was pretty good. And little did we know, as much as you think he phoned it in, this is probably the last time he was actually actively engaged in a part. Um because I feel like he's been phoning it in ever since. But uh, but I think there are some nice moments from him in there. Um, but yeah, I think for me, I I wound up liking it probably because there was more novelty to it. Like it, it like I had the same react, maybe not the, the exact same, but I had a similar reaction to it that you did when you saw the stage show. I was like, oh, wow, this is really dark, but also kind of funny. And and some of this, mm-hmm. some of this, uh, uh, uh arrangement and some of these lyrics are like oh this is and and i think that's when i first was hit with like how fast the words were able to come in certain songs and i remember thinking like okay i i think i understand why people like this show uh and i was curious to know i think the thing that bummed me out is like it's just tim burton taking this show and just making it on just another tim burton movie so when this came out in 2007, I was a fan of it. I okay. enjoyed it. I had a good time. I was 14 years old. Um, I watched it two, two or three weeks ago for this. This thing's a, a, just a nightmare. It's a nightmare. To, like, I'm it's not, it's, it's not as bad as a little night music, but it is close. Hmm. Um, what I my letterbox review I wrote it feels like everyone downed a handful of Ambien before every single take. Mm. There is no energy. There's no fun. Yeah. Yeah. This is a delicious melodrama about people slitting throats and baking them into pies, and no one's having fun. It's pretty dour. I'd say I do, I do, the only person who's having fun is Sasha Baron Cohen, and like you said, he gets axed in about five minutes. Yeah, like. Why he? Why is he not the one playing Sweeney Todd? He would no. get. He would get the material. And yeah, because yeah, his his whole scene is that he's like a snake oil salesman type. Uh, yeah, is uh, fantastic. It's and, the best part of the movie. And the 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 cuts are unjustifiable. Not having the the ballad of Sweeney Todd to to at the very opening of the show to say, hey, attend the tale of Sweeney Todd. This is sort of a dark, melodramatic parable that we're about to tell you. Instead, we're going to open on a pirate ship. And you're like, what is this movie? (laughs) What's going on? That was some sort of contractual thing. Like, Johnny Depp was like, I have to enter on a pirate ship. (laughs) Yeah, but I mean, like, in A Little Priest, which is the most fun song of the show, the funniest song of the show where they're imagining all the people they're going to kill and bake into pies. What the, instead they decided to literalize everything by then looking out a window and going, is that a squire on the fire where it's, they see a squire bent over a fire where (laughs) that's supposed to mean we're baking him in the oven. And (laughs) I remember when I saw that, (sighs) I, I I had the feeling having not seen that 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 song done uh, elsewhere. I remember thinking like this feels really on the nose. And then I also <laughs> thought, what is this street corner where all of these people are gathering? Like this is a real a real cross section of society here. I mean, and the I mean, you're and you're so right about Helena Bonham Carter's 
voice. It's so wrong. And her whole approach is so wrong for that part. Yeah. And, and what makes it even worse is that her and Depp's voices are so thin. Mm -hmm. They're not meant to sing this material. They shouldn't be singing in the first place, but fine. If they are, you have to adjust the arrangements of the songs to fit their voices. So like the stripped down John Doyle version of company, he also did one for Sweeney Todd where it was it's stripped down. It's, you know, guitars, it's a guitar and a piano and a cello and just a couple of instruments that actually would probably fit Depp's sort of David Bowie-esque rocker voice that he's trying to do in this right. better than having the full London Symphony Orchestra blaring behind them. And he's going, oh, there's no place like London. It's like no, nobody knows what they're doing. The CGI town looks terrible. Everything's bad. <laughs> bad yeah. movie. Would not recommend. <laughs> uh, let's move on to the one I probably should have rewatched because uh, it would have helped with the biographical um, elements of this this episode. But I did watch when it first aired on HBO back in 2013 uh, a, a documentary called Six by Sondheim. Um, and I'll, uh, I'll admit when I, when I watched it, I was watching less for like, oh, this is a documentary where I'm going to learn some things about the life of Stephen Sondheim. I was watching for the, the titular six by Sondheim's, the, 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 the little performances, um, that are like standalone performances filmed and peppered throughout this, uh, this, this documentary, most notably to me at the time, um, Jarvis Cocker uh sings uh what is he saying i'm still uh, here from I'm still follies here. um and i have always been a big uh jarvis cocker fan uh i also remember liking uh i've never seen merrily we, we roll we merrily we roll along but i remember liking the opening doors is that i'm looking at the list because mm-hmm. i haven't seen this thing in nine years but yeah. um I, I remember those are the two performances i remember really standing out to me but you uh, rewatched it more recently mike uh what did mm-hmm. you think of six by sondheim um, as a documentary about Stephen Sondheim, it's pretty good. It, it pulls a lot of archival interviews that ha- I had already seen just scouring YouTube for anything about Stephen Sondheim. Uh, so like a lot of the actual information was not n- that new to me because yeah. I had seen all those interviews before. Um, I'm mixed on the performances of the songs. I don't think the Jarvis Cocker I'm still here works. I think it feels accusatory in a way that that song is supposed to be empowering because he's like think, singing well, at all these old women and it's he's, like, he's Oh, I'm still here. And he's, like, and he's jumping around on the stage. And like, oh, I'm still here. Oh. Yeah. If you're a Jarvis Cocker fan, he made it his own. Oh, he definitely made it his own. Yeah, but, it feels Jarvis Cockery. And, and it, I didn't realize until maybe I am according to IMDb, Todd Haynes directed that segment. Yeah. He directed he directed that one um send in the clowns performed by audrey mcdonald and uh guitar by her husband will swenson um was uh directed by autumn DeWild, who directed emma with anya taylor joy yeah with a period emma, with period emma full stop emma full yeah. stop and um james lapine who directed the documentary directed the opening doors sequence which is a little weird because everything is on a a very obvious green screen and i don't know how i the he almost kind of doesn't make an artistic choice with the, what he does with the green screen it's very weird but sondheim does show up in that number as the manager who tells 
the uh, the songwriters that they that he can't hum the songs, which was the frequent um, complaint he would get throughout his career that people couldn't hum the songs, which is true. But hummability is not what makes a good song. Okay. Um, <laughs> yeah. Uh, but I also like this was um, that I remember the the opening doors one was notable at the time because like Darren Chris would have been on Glee at the time, right? Am I on Glee or just off Glee around right. there? And um, America Jer- Ferrara would have been uh, post Ugly Betty. Like, yeah, yeah. Oh, was it already post Ugly Betty? I would think um, so. It's 2013. Yeah. I don't know when Ugly Betty. Ugly Betty probably was like Tyler said. The last fifteen years have flown by. Yeah, and like and Jeremy (laughs) Jordan would have just done Newsies on Broadway. Okay, but Mm -hmm. I guess to me, Darren Chris and America Ferrara were like big and at the time still younger names. Mm -hmm. Uh, That was kind of a draw for me at the time. But uh, yeah, I wish I had watched this again or like watched it. um, Not just I want to check out these musical numbers. Like actually watched it as a documentary about Simon. I do wonder why no one is casting America Ferreira in a movie musical. She can do it. She has the chops to do it. I don't know why people don't do it. Instead, we have to fucking get Helena Bonham Carter. Whatever. (laughs) Uh, Well, speaking of things that are unfortunate. Oh, boy. (laughs) 2014's Into the Woods, uh, which I saw on the Disney lot. Uh, I think I might have as well. That's the only thing I, only positive thing I had to say about it. I like going to see movies on the Disney lot. I saw uh, it on <laughs> Christmas Day with my family. That was the big Christmas movie. Thank yeah. You. So okay, uh, uh, like like so many others, this is a, a a show that I'm largely unfamiliar with on stage, uh, outside of a couple of numbers here and there that just kind of you absorb through cultural osmosis. Um, so I, I went in pretty blind and yet even then this felt very flat and, and extremely sanitized. Like you could, I was, I was just, uh, I was looking over the review that I wrote for it for BP. Uh, and I said like, you can just feel that there is something else eager to burst out of this, but it just is never allowed to. Um, it really is trying to embrace the Disney aspect of it because like, oh, we're dealing with fairy tales and princes and princesses and all that sort of thing. Isn't that fun? It's like, it is, yes. Uh, and you definitely are playing up that that novelty. But at the same time, clearly this is trying to do other things thematically. And I think the the songs lend themselves to that. And even certain moments uh, lend themselves to that. Like this is a very adult show clear meant for adults written by adults um, who, who can think back on the concept of heavily ever after and recognize like, well, there's always going to be more to it than that. Um, And yet it just, it is so sanitized and so safe, you know, and you know what I will say, as much as I might have been bashing Johnny Depp, I didn't mind what he did with the wolf. And I feel like if those scenes hit, and I really, I forget the name of the actress. I really liked whoever played uh, little red riding hood. I remember liking her performance. Lilla Crawford. Okay. Um, 
And I remember looking at those scenes and feeling like there feels like uh, there could be a potential like sexual component to this, but obviously we can't allow that in this film. And so I just, as I watched, I just felt like this is at war with itself. And I feel like I should see the show uh, on stage. But I, I mean, I think that's like Senate playing it safe um, is kind of the Rob Marshall playbook it seems like i don't like chicago i don't like this i don't like he made the worst parts of the caribbean movie uh, um <laughs> i weirdly kind of liked mary poppins too with the exception of the meryl streep number uh sorry to say bad things about meryl streep but it's the mary worst poppins part of the returns movie. is good mary poppins uh, returns is good i'll defend yeah. that movie yeah i liked it again i i you could you could literally cut the whole meryl streep part out of that movie and mm-hmm. uh it would be better, but uh, I just I, I just don't like Rob Marshall because I think he seems yeah use safe. It's he seems like resistant to putting too much character into these uh, in, into these songs of these situations. The big issue with Rob Marshall directing Into the Woods, I don't think, is that he's um wants to play it safe too much. I think if he doesn't have dance to shoot, he doesn't really know how to stage a musical number. Um, like he, he had an idea for agony. We're going to put them on this waterfall. They're going to have, there's, there's business to do on the waterfall that they can play off of each other as well. And it's going to work. And it's funny. It's the best Number do you remember movie. liking that? That that's the most memorable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think, and I think, um, the song "On the Steps of the Palace" that Cinderella has, played by Anna Kendrick, um, where he has the idea that it's going to freeze time. We're going to rewrite the song to where it takes place in present tense rather than past tense, um, and and has an idea of how to stage it on the steps of the palace. Um, other than that, it's a lot of we're going to stand around and sing. And we're going to be on this wood set that is supposed to be this expansive woods, but feels like it, it, it's, you know, the size of a normal bedroom that feels so small. That was another thing that I, that I had written is that like, it feels like you should, you should be able to get lost in these woods, Mm -hmm. but everything feels so two dimensional. And I remember at the time thinking like, okay, is that on purpose? Is he trying to evoke the idea of like a, a literal flat, like on stage? I don't think so. I think he's just not able to create depth uh, mm-hmm. in that uh, visual depth in that film. But, and also like Sweeney Todd into the woods is for the most part, a comedy mm-hmm. and he doesn't understand how to have people delivered funny lines stage funny moments he is and it and the movie looks so dour and cloudy that there's just no air for any sort of humor to come across that's why agony is the one good moment because it's the one time the sun's out Hmm. so you can actually like sort of see what's going on but like the first number of the of the show the uh, of the movie it opens on a cloudy sky and it's like this is not a fun storybook beginning yeah yeah so but if you want to watch 
into the woods the way it's supposed to be seen there is a, a an excellent recording of the original broadway cast of the original broadway production with the original cast bernadette peters chip sign joanna gleason um that you can that you, is very easily available and it is for a lot of people is their sondheim entry point for for musical theater people it's really how they get into sondheim they saw that on pbs or on vhs or on dvd and they were like oh this is this is different this is i didn't know that a musical could do this hmm. so if you really want to watch that show that's that if you really want to want to watch into the woods that's how you should watch it and that's uh rentable from most of your standard renting mm-hmm. streaming services in standard def because it probably was shot on video so standard def is probably all you're mm-hmm. ever gonna get um okay you wanted to talk about 2016's i already forgot what it's called long it's called title. it's called best worst thing that ever could have happened so this is a documentary um about the making of merrily we roll along it's directed by Lonnie Price, who was in the original cast. And Merrily Roll Along, while it's a very well-known show today, it was in Lady Bird. You know, people know that people know that show somewhat now. Uh, was a gigantic catastrophe when it was on Broadway. They had to replace the lead actor midway through previews. Uh, they every single day there was new stuff being written and resta- restaged and. Everybody in the cast was incredibly young, 19, 18, 19, 20 years old. Um, the oldest person in the cast was probably Jason Alexander, and he was probably like 22. Um, and it closed after six performances. And it just devastated everybody. And it basically ended the creative relationship between Stephen Sondheim and director Hal Prince. Um, it So... And they get everybody to come in and interview about this. And like uh, there was also this gigantic trove of archival footage because this was the this was their show after Sweeney Todd. It was going to be a gigantic deal. So they had a documentary crew filming everything Hmm. ready to ready to make a doc about this. Then the show flopped so hard. They just put it all in an attic somewhere. And as Lonnie Price is making this movie, he has no idea if he's going to be able to get that footage. So you actually get the moment in the movie where he finds that footage and is watching his younger self. And it's just unbelievable stuff. I, I, I don't know if I've cried more consistently during any movie more than this movie because of just how important this show was to so many people who, you know, because the show Barely we roll along for those of you who don't know. It's about these three young people who are songwriters and writers. And as they grow up, they become separated from each other and jaded. And basically by the end of their life or where we leave them is, you know, <laughs> life got in the way and sh- bad shit happens. But the show is told in reverse. Mm-hmm. So it ends on the most hopeful note which is the most bittersweet because you know it's gonna it ends so badly for them Mm. um but this documentary it's the revert it's barely we roll along told chronologically basically because it tells the story of these idealistic young people making this show with the god stephen sondheim 
and it's a gigantic failure and they have to move on with their lives. <laughs> so I, it's on Netflix. I highly, highly recommend checking it out. All right. Well, we got, uh, we're going to wrap it up with two movies from last year. Um, tick, tick, boom, uh, is a movie, uh, in which, uh, Bradley Whitford plays, uh, Stephen Sondheim, except for in one, uh, vocal performance in which Stephen yeah. Sondheim plays himself. It's, it's, it's a sort of caricature performance, but he actually gets a lot right about Sondheim's mannerisms and the squinting and the leaning. And it's a, it's a very well-observed if a little over the top performance, but, uh, the, the voice message that Sondheim leaves Jonathan Larson in that, uh, movie, uh, was pretty much the last thing Sondheim ever wrote because the original message in the, that was in the script, uh, Lin-Manuel Miranda asked him if he would read this and he said, sure, but I would never say any of the stuff that's on the page. So he just wrote what he would, what he would say in that message. So that's, that's the last thing when he was alive that we'll see that he wrote and performed it himself. Mm -hmm. But I did. Yeah. I like Bradley Woodford. You mentioned the leaning. He's very funny. It's I, I, yeah. You described it as being like a caricature, but he's, Putting him in that scene with Richard Kind, he seems like reserved. Sure, yeah. Richard Kind is so <laughs> so big in a great way. I love I love Richard mm-hmm. Kind as as well. Uh, and then I, I guess we should end by talking about Steven Spielberg's West Side Story, which um, uh, made a lot of like it's still West Side Story, but he intentionally like most of the most of the numbers are staged in different type of places it, it, it feels like in a way that i was worried would be self-conscious like intentionally trying to not like replicate um their otherwise movie but uh all of these choices work out uh especially with is it i keep cool or what is, what is it what's the song called it's just called cool it's just called cool um mm-hmm. which that song is great and that sequence uh, is great i mean which not only does he stage it in an entirely different way, he um, moves it from what I understand, moves it back to where it was on stage. Am I, am I right? That mm-hmm. the Robert Wise movie puts moved that song later. The mm-hmm. Right. And so he restores it to where it's supposed to be. And I think um, it's, yeah, I've, uh, I, I've said on this podcast before that I'm like, um, so hesitant to, 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 come across as bad mouthing Robert Wise's movie because I like it so much. But that's one thing that I'll point to and say, like, absolutely, that is an improvement. Yeah. West Side Story is my favorite movie of 2021. I've seen it seven times. Wow. Um, I, I will say it is better than the original movie. I have no pro- I have no issues saying that. Um, <laughs> it, it, fix, it fixes every issue I have with West Side, basically every issue I have with West Side Story, the original movie, and the show. Um, what does it fix about the show? Well, not only is Cool moved to its original um, place in the show, but the entire number has com- completely been recontextualized. Tony's not in that number originally. Yeah. Um, and so making it a duel between him and Riff uh, 
about the the gun yeah makes that song so much more interesting than hey guys we got to be cool like that's kind of <laughs> it it's it's a it's a big it's a chorus number so the leads get a break off stage sort you know and uh i think placing g officer krupke around the same time uh because in the in the show that is where cool in the original movie is is in the second act and you're like why is this funny song like shit's gone bad what yeah. what's happening here it needs to happen before so getting both of those before i like the i like and i think deciding to stage i feel pretty in that department store instead of like the back room of a puerto rican dress shop makes so much more sense for that song it allows for that heightened language because she's operating within a white upper middle class world where she self-consciously can use those wittier rhymes. She's putting on airs. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, obviously casting people of the right ethnicity is better. Goes a long way. Yeah. <laughs> Goes long. I, I know it's an unpopular opinion. I think Ansel Elgort's really good in the movie. Hmm. I, I don't have having, any problem with that. Having seen it seven times, you see a little bit more what he's actually doing <laughs> with the performance. <laughs> it's you know what? I, I don't consider him a bad actor and I don't even think his performance is necessarily bad. I do think that it, that he especially um, in fact, I think both leads, but I think he especially gets kind of lost with the supporting cast that strong. Um, like when you've got you know, I don't like w having watched the original. I don't think of Riff as that vital. He obviously, he's an important character. I don't think of him as that vital of a character. And here no. he is. He almost feels like a lead. Uh, and so when I've got that wonderful performance uh, and just who that and the dynamic of that character compared with Tony as played by Ansel Elgort. Um, it's tough. I just feel like he can't, he can't compare with, uh, Mike faced and, and all the other characters as well. It's just, I feel like he just gets lost in the shuffle. So like anytime he shows up, it's, it's nothing he's necessarily doing wrong. Um, I think he's playing it pretty straightforward. Uh, but for some reason he just, he just kind of leaves my, anytime he's not on screen and sometimes even when he is, he just kind of leaves my mind. Yeah. I just, I totally just lock in to him and Rachel Zegler's chemistry and their love story that I mean, it's the, it's easily whenever I've seen West Side Story, this is easily the most I've been invested in that central romance because usually for me, it doesn't work like with Richard Boehmer. It, I, I feel about Richard Boehmer, how you just described hmm. Ansel Elgort. Um, but here, you know, if that, if that central romance doesn't work, I'm not going back seven times to see it. So that's, I, it's going to be a, a difference of taste there, but you know, yeah. Cause I, I, I really, by the time I saw my, my stand, my expectation was pretty high. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and the central romance, it's not that it didn't work. It just, it was like the third or fourth most interesting part of the film for me. And so, uh, so I guess based on the criteria you just mentioned, like, I guess maybe that explains why the film didn't 
a hundred percent work for me. Like why it, why it uh, is not a film that I imagine I would want to go back and see it. Like if I went to see it again, it would be to convince myself that it's better, better than I thought. And it might, and it probably would be honestly, mm-hmm. now that I know what it actually is. Um, but I do agree with you that like when thinking of certain bits of staging and, and I had this, I had a similar thought about, um, I feel pretty, it's a song I've never particularly responded to, but re, you know, the idea that she's now, she's feeling optimistic about what her life could be. She's in the midst of the American dream, uh, as being sold. Um, and, uh, and it fits really well. I feel like Spielberg is, he's such a sensitive director that he looks at something like this and and even if he didn't see it as a problem, he thinks like, how can I make this more? How can I squeeze the most uh, weight out of every and the most meaning out of every song in the film? Mm-hmm. And and I don't and I don't and I know a lot's been said about it, but the the change of Doc to Valentina is such an important mm-hmm. Uh, decision to make and I think makes and it it grounds the movie way more than Doc ever has because like it it wouldn't make sense real if it's Doc for the that to be a viable meeting place for the Puerto Ricans whereas with Valentina anybody can come and go right um, and she can form a relationship with Tony and hate riff because it's easy to hate riff um and giving her the song somewhere you know i when the movie came out i know a lot of people had an issue with uh somewhere not being between tony and maria as it is in the original movie on the show it's not it's during a Mm. that song is a small section of a giant dream ballet and it's sung by somebody in the cast it's just (laughs) just some person giving a, a a third person voice to the events that are happening, which is what they do here. And I think it, it works a lot better. Hmm. Well, you guys, we, we did it. Yeah. Yeah. We, we've gotten we, to the uh, core of Steven Sondheim. I think, mm-hmm. I think we've nailed it. Uh, and I also think I've got some good um, recommendations for, uh, I want to look up, you know, when I have time, some of these, you know, filmed, stage performances and mm-hmm. i want to watch that uh the merrily we, we roll along documentary there's a lot of stuff that i'm uh, eager to 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 check out myself here the, the stage performances are so crucial because they like i know it's not the same as being in a theater but seeing sweeney todd or into the woods or my favorite musical of all time sunday in the park with george um f- filmed like that uh it it lets you see the shows the way that they were supposed to be seen, which is, yeah. you know, kind of important and passion. Uh, one of, one of the shows that was filmed was actually shot on film, which was nice. Oh, it's uh, the, it's the one. So I would recommend checking all those out. We should have, we should have touched on the episode of um, Hulu's difficult people in which uh, Julie and Billy, um, crash the uh cbs live performance of sunday in the park with george starring the cast of the big bang theory and ruin it and get sent to community service 
<laughs> I don't know if you watch Difficult People. No, but, now I got to watch this now. <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. Uh, well, you can find uh, us at battleshipretention.com. That's where you can find, you know, let's see. You can find reviews of the new West Side Story. And I'm trying to think what else. Did you review Into the Woods? Tyler? I did. Yeah. Yes. You said you did. Yeah. You could find those at battleshipretention.com. Uh, you can email us at david at battleshipretension.com or tyler at battleshipretension.com. Follow me on Twitter at Davey Pretension. Check out my other podcast, The One Where I Met Your Mother, in which my wife and I talk about an episode of Friends and an episode of How I Met Your Mother uh, uh, every week. This uh, week is a huge week for Friends fans because we watched the one with the prom video, which uh, you'll see how I. Uh, <laughs> how I reacted to that uh, and uh, and a uh, football centric episode of how I met your mother. So that's there. Uh, Tyler, you can follow Tyler on, on Twitter at Tyler pretension. Tyler, do you have anything to plug at all? Uh, I guess I'll just push the, uh, the documentary again. You can find my documentary Valley of the shadow, the spiritual value of horror uh, at the uh, rediscover television um, streaming platform. You can also find it on Vimeo on demand. And finally, Mike, thank you so much for being here. You were uh, indispensable to uh, oh, yes. talking about Sondheim. Uh, first, the most important thing, is my episode of the No Excuses podcast available anywhere? Yes, you can, f- okay. you can find the whole back catalog on SoundCloud. Okay, uh, what mm-hmm. else do you have to plug for real? Um, I write for Collider and Slash Films, so you can see some of my stuff there for... I've written a little bit about Sondheim and the new West Side Story. So there's a couple of pieces out there about that. Um, you can follow me on Twitter at Mike Shutt 15. That's S-H-U-T-T. And Mike Shutt on Letterboxd, which is where I would recommend. That's the most recommenda- recommendation is follow me on Letterboxd. All right. Well, thank that's you again home. for being here, Mike. Thank you. Um, thank you, everybody else, uh, for listening. We'll get you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 